If you like Taste Test and you want to keep the music digestion sessions going every week and get some exclusive bonus content, stick around afterwards for details. But first, let's start the show. Have a taste. You are now in the zone. The zone with Taste Test Live. On our podcast, we provide our listeners with insightful music digestion sessions, what's happening in the music and entertainment industry each week. Also, on Taste Test Live, we feature artist interviews, awesome backstories, and we might even get an exclusive song from one of our guests. Yeah, I love that. That's right. Our goal is to keep our podcast subscribers happy by offering new and fresh content. If you have an album or a single coming out and you want to promote your music or your book or your artwork or share a great story about your career in the music industry, drop us a line. You can do that by heading over to our website at tastetest.live. Head over to our contact page and you just might have a chance to be a guest on the show. Yep, that's true. Mm. It is time to have a taste. taste. Hey, what's jazzing? Yo, yo. What's jazzing? We're back for another week of taste test. And it's Mercury retrograde. What does that mean? Ah, I can't see Blue's face. You, you, you good, man? I'm good now. All right, perfect. That's what it was. I, I get real hot. Somebody got one of them old janky phones. We'll get a phone call right now. Not me. Not me. Okay, you got an Android. And only Androids do that. Shut up. <sighs> See? That's Mercury Retrograde stuff I'm talking about. <clears throat> trying to tell y'all. Trying to tell you. That's just because y'all believe in you. <sighs> That's science. All right, welcome to Taste Test Live. You're here for some exclusive interviews, music, news, yes. and laughs. And joining me in the studio are my Taste Test Live co-host, MJ Baker and Blue Francois. Welcome, friends. Hello. Yeah. How are you guys? We're good. Amazing. Good, good, good. Welcome back. Um, listen, uh, MJ, can you take a quick moment to tell our first-time listeners what they can expect to hear from Taste Test Live? On Taste Test Live, we discuss what's happening in the entertainment industry. Our podcast will now be monthly and feature exclusive artists, interviews, and new music releases you probably won't hear anywhere else. And if you're interested or know someone who might want to promote an upcoming single, new album, concert, or just drop by to share your newest project, get in touch with us. Yeah, head over to our website, uh, new website tastetest.live and complete the form on the show or to complete the form on the website to be a guest on the show yeah that's right this segment is where we discuss the hot topics latest music news and upcoming album releases if you like what you've heard please follow us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter at taste test radio joining us in the studio is nikisha elise williams and I'm going to take a quick moment and tell all of you who this fabulous human being is. I had the privilege of meeting her a couple weeks ago during a PB&J event. And PB&J stands for Party, Benefit, and Jam. She was a speaker at one of our jam sessions. I sit on the board for that organization. Nikisha Elise Williams is an Emmy Award-winning news producer and author. 
She's born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and attended the Florida State University, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Communication, Mass Media Studies, and an honors in English Creative Writing. Nikisha's debut novel, Four Women, was awarded the 2018 Florida Authors and Publishers Association President's Award in the category of Adult Contemporary Literary Fiction. Four Women was also recognized by the National Association of Black Journalists as an outstanding literary work. Nikisha is a full-time writer and writing coach and has freelanced for several publications including Essence, Very Smart Brothers, and Shadow and Act. Nikisha lives in Jacksonville, Florida, but you can always find her online at facebook.com slash Nikisha Elise or at Nikisha underscore Elise on Twitter and Instagram. Welcome, Nikisha. Hey. So glad to have you. Thank you for taking out time out of your busy schedule to come by and talk to us. No problem. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell everyone, if you will, what you spoke about specifically, because it really impacted me. And I would like you to put it in your words and sort of like summarize your six minute, 20 second <laughs> presentation <laughs> into like 10 seconds. I spoke about the state of education and how despite decades of attempts at integration schools are still segregated which has led specifically to the situation that Duval County Schools finds themselves in mm -hmm. with the fight over the half cent sales tax and the schools that it would benefit and the political wrangling in the city over that issue excellent and i think you 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 of course touched a little bit on your upbringing in chicago and obviously what or can you tell everybody a little bit about what education was like in Chicago as opposed to what it's like in Duval County? I think it's very much the same. And even though I'm from a big city, um, Chicago is still one of the most segregated cities in the, in the country. So just like Jacksonville, south side, north side, east side, west side, same in Chicago, south side, north side, east side, west side. Uh, in Chicago, I grew up on the south side, deep south side. That's the, as I mentioned in, in my talk is the, um, the side known for gang violence and crime and all of that. And so the neighborhood schools aren't as prestigious as the ones on the north side of the city or the magnet schools with selective enrollment. Um, and so my mother, being an educator, she knew our schools in our neighborhood weren't as good, and so she made the choice to pay tuition for me and my brother to go to Catholic school for... Um, for elementary school and then when we went to high school I went to a selective selective enrollment high school in a, in a affluent suburb uh, called Beverly and he also went to um, like a career academy mm -hmm. uh, high school as well so mm -hmm. I don't think that there's much difference uh, than what people here are facing where you know you have your Reigns and your Revolts and your Ed Whites and your First Coast Highs and then you have your DAs and your Atlantic Coast and your Mandarin high schools. I mean, it's it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or even more so here, people just moving to an entirely different county mm -hmm. just because of the educational right, system. Right. And so you think about how that affects people who can't move, who can't commute. What kind of schools do they have? What kind of schools do they have for their children? What kind of options are left in those communities? And then what resources do they have? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I mean, it's 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 a it, like you said, a perpetuation of the same narrative, regardless of what the location is. Do you have any idea um, or what do you think the root cause may be? I think the root cause is a lot of the same issues surrounding 
race. And so, you know, black people were deliberately not educated during times of slavery. So then the first schools that we had were schools that we created for ourselves with HBCUs and one-room schoolhouses where you just had all the kids in one room. And, you know, you going back to that history and that legacy, there's no other way to say it, but for years and maybe even still, white people didn't want to see African-Americans educated because Mm -hmm. education is power. Mm -hmm. Education is freedom. And so now that it's mandated that all children are going to school, and racism being the systemic institution that it is, well, we can't keep you from learning. We can't force you to work for us anymore. We have to say that we give you freedom. But if we make the system and base it off of property taxes or something that you can't have and then take all of the resources out of your communities so that you don't have the access to even get the opportunity, then, then we can still deny you the basic right to a public education, even if we say that we're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. So your book for women, um, that your award winning book, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about why you called it for women and elaborate on the title a little bit? Uh, the title for women is twofold. I knew I was going to write a story about four women. And so four women. But also I have been in love with the Nina Simone song for women since I was about like seven it was the very first time I heard it. Um, I was a dancer, and so it was as I was training, we were preparing for a show, and there was a, a dance that these four girls in my that were older than me, they may have been like 15 to 17, but like at seven, they're like really old. <laughs> but they did this dance and embody each of the characters, and I have loved it ever since. And so I knew it was, it was in tribute to Nina and also just basically... Four women, what is it about? It's about four women, that kind of answer. But if you read the novel and you know the song, then you will recognize that each of the women is depicted and characterized as one of, as the way Nina did, uh, Aunt Sarah, Peaches, Saffronia, Mm -hmm. and a sweet thing. Mm -hmm. So, nice. So music inspired, music and dance inspired this book. Yeah, kind of. Okay. A little bit bit deeper than that. Music and dance, more so the title. Um, But the inspiration behind the book was really the deaths of Trayvon Martin and uh, Jordan Davis in 2012. Um, As you mentioned, I worked as a news producer. So I worked those cases as the information came in about each of of their uh, killings. And as it continued to happen with Mike Brown and Freddie Gray and, you know, all the boys and the men, Tamir Rice, it just kept sitting with me like, we're talking about the boys and we're talking about the men, but where are the women? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there were African-American women who had been killed in violent ways, Mm -hmm. either by vigilantes or by police officers, and nobody was saying their names, either one, because they didn't know them, Two, because they didn't get any press. Or three, because we didn't even show up for them. Bothered me. Mm. And so I was like, I want to tell a story about these issues. And I want to center African-American women. So when you read the novel and you, you meet the characters, one is a victim. One is a suspect. One is a news anchor. One is a doctor. And they each play an integral role in the story that I lay out. 
and that was intentional by centering African-American women, not just about the issue of Black Lives Matter or Stand Your Ground or police brutality, but also to, uh, to discuss issues like domestic violence and addiction and even the price of ambition on a woman's life. Mm. Wow. So kind of like the um, millennial um, for colored girls in a sense. Yes and no. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that was the inspiration. I mean, I'm just saying when you were just discussing it, it mm-hmm. just reminded me of, you know, because I, f- I feel like, you know, um, Nikki Giovanni told those, you know, also tried to tell those stories as well during her time as well. Absolutely. I think I've got four novels now and then a fifth coming next year and also a collection of poetry. And I think if you look at the body, once once you begin to look at the body of my work, then yes, that's a very apt comparison. My goal is to censor the stories of African-American women, mm-hmm. period. Uh, when I'm at book festivals, when I'm out and about, you know, it's like, what are you writing about? What are, what are your books about? And I'm like, in general, I'm a black woman who writes for black women about black women, period. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not uh, going to shy away from that. And if that means my book is not for you, then it's just not for you. And I'm okay with that. I knew from the first paragraph of Four Women and definitely by the end of the first chapter that some people just aren't going to rock with me for whatever reason. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And those that trust me as a creative and as a literary artist that want to see, well, where are we going from here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they'll, they'll keep reading and they'll rock with me and they'll see the story that I'm laying out and they'll trust me. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can just say that um, from you just describing the book, I think you should adapt it to a screenplay because we got Mr. Tyler Perry right up the street and I would love to see that movie. It's already been adapted. So if ever Tyler wants to give me a call. Come on, Tyler. Really? Yeah. Seriously, you've already adapted I've it. Already, Yay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. That's just, that's in general. But for the most part, working as a news producer teaches you to see the vision of mm-hmm. what you're writing before the show ever hits the air right. so that you can produce it. Like television news is more than just writing the scripts for the anchors. It's a, about the placement. It's about the rhythm of the show. It's about what is it going to look like once it hits the air. And as a producer, it is. it was my job to see all of that in just the 20-second script that I was writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, writing the novels or writing any of my novels, I always try to envision what does it look like? Where am I? Where are my characters? What are they doing? What do they look like? What What is the the scenery like around them? I pay very close attention to those details so that it does unfold like a movie in your head yeah. so that you can see, ooh, this would be a good movie. Yeah. Ooh, I could see so-and-so playing this character because that's the way that I'm thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then just adapting the novel into... Screenplay format. That's what I do anyway. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What was your intention for writing it? Obviously, you were inspired by Nina Simone. You were inspired by the music. Dance loosely inspired you. What did you? What do you hope that when if I were to read this book, what do I, what do you hope that I would get as from this? I wanted to provoke thought and to provoke conversation. Um, the novel for women ends on a, a pretty major cliffhanger, and it was intentional. I had no intention of writing a sequel. Um, and so I really wanted that, that ending where you're mad at me and you're cussing me out and you want to know what happens to be the point 
where you begin to have a conversation about what you just read and what happened in the story and what's happening in life around us. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my original intention to just provoke thought to be a conversation piece and to add to, I guess, in a way, all the think pieces that come out about, you know, policing and the black community and how women's bodies are policed and, and just mm. all of that. Yeah. We, yeah. That's, that's a, <laughs> an entire mm. podcast. I can already see it being moderated. I can see yeah. a couple yeah. of the uh, speakers already on the panel. Yes. So yeah. I have a question. I, I want to go back to the education piece because my mother was an educator my sister, my niece, um, you know, historically in my family, they're educators, period. And um, with that being said, I I think also the other part of the story, minus, uh, you know, what you were speaking of, the resources being removed, it's also, um, you know, just from hearing the stories that my sister and my niece tell about, it's the resources of the teachers. And, you know, like, you know, as far as the community, because it's now it's you you're dealing not only with children that may be, you know, not having the resources at home, but they also have mental issues as well. And so training teachers now they have to go to trainings and different things concerning mental illnesses with children and dealing with, you know, six and seven year olds who have been diagnosed with bipolarism but then they don't have the resources to to handle them properly. You know what I'm saying? And so I just I just wanted to go circle back to that because, you know, that's something that, you know, I feel like, you know, in Duval County, it's it doesn't seem to be the equipping of doesn't seem to be there just quite yet. I feel like across the United States, teachers are taken for granted. Yeah. They're not protected. They're not paid well enough. Yeah. Um, they don't get the credit for what they do, especially not at the elementary or secondary level. I think it's only when you get to academia that there's some prestige behind teaching. Right. But those that care for your children from, you know, some daycares open at six weeks. So from six weeks to 17, 18 years old, they don't get the credit that they deserve um, anywhere. Uh I think there does need to be more mental support staff. There needs to be more school nurses. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this with friends. You know, we, we are in a state where after the Parkland shooting, the solution was to put more guns in classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so that is now available at schools, not only in this County, but all across the state. And, you can't just police your way out of issues. Or yeah. systemic problems. Right. You mm-hmm. can't police your way out of crime. You can't police your way out of mass shootings. There has to be another component besides punishment and returning force with force to get a different result. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, here in Florida... um. No one's really hearing that. Yeah. Uh, I'll take it back to Chicago. My nephew 
went back to school Friday after the teachers were on a 14-day strike. They weren't striking for money. They already got the money. They were striking to have more support staff and to limit class sizes. Mm. Those teachers went 14 days without pay. The kids were home for 14 days because the teachers were demanding that they have the resources that they needed to control a classroom. Yeah. You can't have a classroom with 40 kids and one teacher, Yeah, no matter what age they are, exactly. four or 14. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's not fair. Yeah, You can't teach in a classroom if you have children that are acting out because they need medication or they need counseling or they just yeah. need somebody to talk to. Or they're hungry. Yeah. Or they're hungry, right. Yeah. So we, as a nation, need to do take better care of our teachers. Yeah. Because they're taking care of our children, literally taking care of our literally. children. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think it's a shame. And it, it has to be beyond, we'll give the teachers a gun to keep the kids safe. Yeah. Let them do mass shooting drills to keep the kids safe. Because, okay, they're safe. But what are you doing for their mind? Yeah. What are you doing for their mental health? What are you doing to actually educate them beyond teaching to a test so that they pass and can go to the next grade and you get your bonus. Right, right. All of that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know like I like one of my family members, you know, she practices mindful meditation and different things in her classroom. And so, you know, to your point, she was saying she learned early, you know, she has toiletries and different. So she was like, the kid cannot learn if he's dirty. So you, she's like, so literally they walk in my class, some walk in my classroom dirty, hungry, or agitated. So I have to take them to the sink, make sure they get clean before I can even talk, you know, like different things like that. So I do agree that, you know, teachers are not appreciated enough because most of the time they are counseling, mothering, and handling children for eight hours a day and then if not longer right yep. and then expected to you know hey i've i've been to a teacher's happy hour <laughs> and it is it is lit <laughs> was it happy <laughs> i mean because what because most of them are medicating themselves you know what i mean it's like oh my gosh it is the weekend let's go get drunk and wow. most of the time it's because they're just trying to they're trying to cope, and we haven't yeah, even discussed the fact that they don't really get a weekend because they got uh, papers to grade right. and, pl- lesson and lessons to plan. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a constant battle. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the the conversation because I think more dialogue definitely needs to happen around this subject because, as you mentioned, it it affects it's it's affecting education, it's affecting the the, the kids, it's the the, the future. So if we keep perpetuating the same narrative without officially getting to the root cause and actually doing something about it, we're going to have the same problem over and over and over. It's going to be very cyclical. Absolutely. So, um, gosh, I want more time with you. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, Blue, you got anything? I mean, you, you've been quiet over there, man. No, because I'm just Digesting it all? Digesting it all. Um, I remember um, I found out about you um, when you um, with the four women when they I was going to ask you about I wanted to ask you about that. So Folio Weekly interviewed you about it. Did anybody from the Jordan Davis family reach out to you? 
So when I when I was getting ready to release the novel, I reached out to Ron Davis myself. Okay. I slid in his DMs on Facebook, yeah. and he hit me back. Uh, we met. I gave him a copy, an advanced copy of the novel. He read it, and so when I did the release, I actually did the release here at WJCT. Okay. Oh, and he came, and right. he was there. I remember with that. He, that's yeah. A, yeah. He came. He was here with me. He sat with me, and we had like a, a we discussed the novel in the panel discussion because he had read it, and that was my official book release. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And wow. so he was here with me. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> because I, I was because when uh, when he was telling me about the story, it kind of triggered my memory because I was like, because. You know, me outside before I met you on the outside looking in, I thought that four women had something to because when they did you see, did you read the article that Folio Weekly did? Mm-hmm. It was like it was like a fiction that it, they said they, they titled Truth in Your Fiction, something like that. And I think that's probably because of my background as a news producer. So my way into the fiction is through something that's actually happening, uh-huh. and then I take that headline or whatever it is that triggered it. And I just spin a story out of gotcha, it. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that I'm I'm talking about real issues and I'm talking about life and things that you can recognize, but the story itself, the characters and all their shenanigans are completely made up. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so how does it feel to have won a Emmy? Like Emmy Award yeah. winning. <laughs> so the funny part about that is that the night of the Emmy Award ceremony where I won was the same night of the four women book release, which was here. Oh. So I didn't go. You couldn't go. I didn't oh. go. What? I didn't go. I um, when I had finally booked that I was going to do my book release here at the mm-hmm. at the studio in the uh, the small room, um, I think the next day the nominations came out, and my friends were texting me like, "Oh, you got nominated." I'm like, "Oh, I'm not going. I just booked the space for my book release." <laughs> and. I won't be there, but bring me back some gold. And that was what I said. And so I did the book release. We had a great night. I sold books. My friends were here. I had family here. And then at the end of the I hadn't checked my phone all night. At the end of the night, I checked my phone, and I've got a zillion messages. You won, you won, you won, you won, you won. And so I was wow. like, oh. I had a book release party, and I won an Emmy tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. That's super dope. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's our congratulations. Thank you. Oh That's yeah, awesome. I also got to give you props to the adulting book. I like the cover. Like that was so dope. I, did somebody create? And which, that? Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt, but which book was this again? The adulting. This is the newest book, adulting. Adulting. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a book cover of a lady juggling a lot of problems, and it's on like a it's on a white like on white balls with words, and then there's a mirror behind her. And you can see the reflection of like maybe two of the balls, and I was just like, "Whoa!" You really paid attention to that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> and like she's in a room, it was like, and I was just like, "Who did this?" I was because I was thinking, I said, "I need to try to recreate that in fo- photography." Yeah, I was just yeah. Like, but I could—that's a photographer's like eye for you, right there. Yeah. I tell you. So, three things. My husband gave me the idea. We were having a discussion about our lives, and he was like, "You know, I have rubber balls and I have glass balls that I'm juggling. The rubber balls I can drop." And they'll bounce back. But the glass balls, I can't. I can never drop. I have to keep juggling them. And I was like, "Huh, I like that." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when I was gonna do the cover for adulting, I was like, "That's it. She needs to be juggling all the things that you deal with as an adult." And so I had my friend. I was like, "Jasmine, you want to be on the book cover?" She was like, "Okay." <laughs> and I had my friend model and. The shoot was here at WJCT 
one of you guys' former producers uh, was a photographer, Dudford. And so we were in the room where actually I had my book release two years ago. And I got, went to Walmart and it was around Easter. And I was looking for balls, but they didn't have any, but they had eggs. Those are what the, those white things are. They were eggs. Yeah. And so I bought two of them and I bought a mirror and we came in and I was like, okay, I want some shots of her in the mirror. And then I want some shots of her with the eggs. And at first she was just holding them like, no, I want you to like toss them. It's okay if they fall because it's a photograph. So we got a shot of her with two of them because I only bought two. And she had tossed them and it was just like this. And the, the two that are, were in the air. And then my graphic designer, Gigi, she's done all of my covers. She's awesome. I told Gigi, okay, you pick the picture. I think there's one in her where she's where it actually looks like she's juggling two of the eggs. And I want you to digitally add the other ones. And these are the words that I want you to put on them. Nice. And Very nice. that's what she did. And that was the cover. And yeah. it, it came out super dope. All right. So now elaborate on adulting. It really came out of my my kind of frustration with after four women came out and I was doing interviews a lot of people, even those that knew me since I work in media, were, would always ask me, it's like, oh, you're a wife, you're a mother, you have a full-time job, and now you're following your passion of writing books. How do you do it all? And I didn't really like the question because I felt like I wasn't doing it all. Like, if I was succeeding and excelling in one area, then my life was probably completely trash in several others. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, even in this moment, my son is here with me. <laughs> this is me trying to mom, do mom duty, one hundred percent to do it all because I was gone for the weekend and he hasn't seen me in four days. So me to say oh, I'm about to go do this interview right fast and I'm not taking you would be a civil war in my house. <laughs> so I really wanted to explore that. Like, what does it mean to have it all, and then what does it look like? So I the book starts with it's broken up to four parts. The first part I think is called a housewarming, a wedding, and a baby shower. And you meet this character who has just bought her own house. She's going to a friend's wedding, and she's going to a baby shower all in the same weekend, which are three very big milestones in a person's life, just of adulthood, mm -hmm. when you own your first place, when you get married, and when you have your baby. So I wanted to just explore that and go on this journey. And when I write, I, um, I do a, a, a quick outline where I have an idea and I kind of know how the story is going to end. And so for this one, I didn't have a lot of notes. I think I had like maybe four pages of notes. And the only thing I had for my outline were the chapter titles. Mm. So I knew basically, okay, what we're going to talk about in each chapter. But I always leave room to play, leave room for the Lord to say, okay, that's not really what's going to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> and go from there. And so I just really wanted to really play with that idea of, well, once she has it all, can she keep it? Yeah. Are you going to self-destruct and make yourself lose it all? Mm -hmm. And then how do you recreate your life and reincarnate this vision of yourself each time? Right. So right. that's what adulting is about. Excellent. Excellent. Well thought out. Yeah. Super well, dope. I cannot wait to read both of the books. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm Me like, too. yeah, weekend reading for sure. Uh, I have copies. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's go ahead and you do cash app. I sure do. <laughs> so uh, we, we could arrange that. Um, but take a quick moment. I've already told people how they can find you on social, but I'll let you, you tell everybody how they can find you and what's next for you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nikisha underscore Elise, N-I-K-E-S-H-A underscore Elise, E-L-I-S-E. -E. Um, 
Nikishi Lisa on Facebook as well. And my website, if you're really curious about all the things that I do, is www.newrights.com. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Me and my munchkin. (laughs) Goodbye, munchkin. Taste Test Live is a fully syndicated podcast and is on podcast services or wherever you listen to your podcast. Taste Test Live is supported by listeners like you. If you enjoy the show and want to make sure I can keep making it at this rate, then head over to tastetest.live and click the button that says Patreon. There you can learn how you can help and get some perks for your support. If you're unable to support Taste Test Live financially, then share the show. Tell your friends about it and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast service. I really enjoy sharing this podcast with you and producing it every week. Thank you so much for listening.